0: Have you ever been able to tell just by the look on someone's face that they've been up to something? I mean, parents and grandparents, you know what I'm talking about. Have you ever been able to tell by the look on someone's face, either by the look of a slight grin or a little bit of guilt, something like that, just by the look on their face that they have, they've been up to something? This is what is happening in the minds of those Hebrews in that story as Moses descended Mount Sinai. He descended the mountain and they knew. They they knew he'd been up to something, something significant. They just looked at his face and they knew. Not because he told them. No, they knew it before he said it. They knew it because they saw it. It was all over his face. Something had happened. Something had impacted him. Something had changed him in a way that Moses himself wasn't fully aware of yet. Exodus 34.30 says, When Aaron and the others saw Moses coming down the mountain, they saw his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. Moses had to say, come back. Moses had to call them back. Did you notice that in the story? They had to come back to him. Apparently, they were so afraid of him when they saw him that they had either backed off or ran away, but he had to call them back so that he could share with them what God had told him on the mountain. And then, so that they would calm down enough to let him join them for afternoon tea and manna later, he put a veil over his face. Being in God's presence had changed Moses. The people knew it because they saw it. And what they saw made them terrified. They just couldn't get over it. They were so affected, it prompted so much fear that Moses had to start wearing a veil that he only removed when he was in the presence of God and God alone. Now why? What was so terrifying about Moses' transfiguration? Some have have wondered if perhaps being in the unmitigated presence of God burned the skin on Moses' face. And you may have seen something like this that reminded you of this if you remember uh, the Charlton Heston movie, The Ten Commandments. You remember when he came down off the mountain and he, he not only had bronze skin, which by the way, Moses probably already had bronze skin, but he had the bronze skin, but he also had a grayer hair and it was, it was like it had been styled in a different way or something. And this was the movie maker's way of showing that he'd been in the presence of God and it had impacted him. That They opted in the movie for a nice summer tan instead of complete facial disfiguration. But either way, they wanted us to know that something was different. And actually, for a while, people in the church thought something was even more strikingly different. Because when Jerome translated the Latin Vulgate, which was the official version of the Hebrew Bible for the Catholic Church, he decided to translate the Hebrew word karen which we have translated either shining or radiant as horns, which is actually a way that it can be translated. Horns. Moses had horns. So this is why you have statues like the one you see on the front of your worship guide that Michelangelo sculpted with Moses having horns. Now think about this for a second. Really, there were years in the church, think about this, When on Transfiguration Sunday, if people heard this story read, they would never even begin to question why the Israelites would have been afraid of Moses when he came down off the mountain, because unbeknownst to Moses, he'd grown horns. This is what they believed. Though, of course, we know that if that were really the case, we'd also need to reinterpret veil, because you know it had to be more like a hoodie because I don't know about you but putting a face mask on a guy with horns doesn't really put me any more at ease. Doesn't doesn't relieve the tension much. But anyway Moses didn't have horns we know that but something was different. Something had, had happened that was on that mountaintop with God that really unsettled them when they saw him. And again we have to wonder what was going on here? Well whatever had happened to his face, they knew it meant he'd been in the presence of God. And they believed that the presence of God was dangerous, that it could kill you. If you saw God face to face, it would kill you. But somehow Moses had done that, it was obvious, and he'd lived. And if you look back at Exodus 33, you can just flip over a page, you see the story, and it's really fascinating. Moses is communing with God. And he's trying to get some assurance with God that God is going to journey with them in the wilderness in the days ahead. And Moses at this point already knows God's name and Moses is learning God's ways. And then Moses in the midst of this asks the unthinkable, show me your glory, Moses says, or in other words, let me see you. Show me your glory is a way of saying, God, let me see you, which remember was a big deal because seeing God's face could be deadly. But in spite of that, Moses wanted the experience, so he asked for it. And God said, okay, all right, I need you around, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you glimpse me in a survivable way. So what I want you to do is, I want you to go over there in between those rocks and in just a moment I'm going to pass in front of me, in front of you, and you're going to see my goodness. And when you see it, God says, you'll finally understand something about me and that is that God is a God of compassion and mercy. Really interesting. But God says, you can't see my face because if you see that, you're a dead man. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pass by you, and when I do, you're going to see my hind parts. That's what the text says. You're going to see my hind parts when I go by you. And here's how rabbis over the years have actually interpreted this. Moses, hide over there, look closely, and if you do, you're going to get a glimpse of where I was. Look closely as I pass by, and if you look closely, you're going to get a glimpse of where I was, which I think is an interesting point to meditate on. You might try this this week. The God of grace and mercy and love we see here is on the move. And sometimes we we just can't bear to see God where God is. Where, where, Or even where God is going. Sometimes all we can bear to glimpse of God is where God has been and what God has done in the past. Sometimes all we can bear to see of God is what has been and where God has been. We can't bear to see where God is in the present and where God is going. Because who God is fully and what God is doing now, if we're not ready for it, it can be overwhelming. Terrifying. It's an interesting idea to ponder. And this is what happened here. Moses glimpses God's glory... And somehow God's spirit sears itself onto the skin of Moses' face. So that when he comes down from the mountain, his face radiates God's glory so much that it freaks the Hebrews out. And the point of this, or at least one of the points that we ought to get today, is that being in the presence of God has the power to impact us and to impact us in a way that would cause us to impact others. I once was in conversation with a pastor who was sharing with me about his daily prayer routine and he said it was really interesting. He started doing this and he'd been doing it for a couple of months and after he'd been doing it for a couple of months, members of his staff started to come up to him and say things like, Hey, what what have you been doing lately? And he, he said, What do you mean? And he said, Well, You know, we've been talking and just something's different. We can't put our finger on it, but we've been talking about it and we're wondering what it is you're doing. And what it is that he'd been doing was engaging in a regular daily practice of opening himself up to God and God's presence and God's word in a new way. He did this and it changed him, unbeknownst to him. It changed him. I wonder about you. Can you think right now of someone you know in your life or that you have known that you would say, when I'm with her, I know I'm with someone who's been with God. Can you think of somebody that when you think, man, when I'm with him, I just, I know, I know I am with someone who has been with God. And I don't mean in the sense that God is everywhere and we're all in touch with God in some kind of way, but someone who is nurturing a deep openness with the living God and God's presence in their life. You see them, and you just know they've been up to something. You're not quite sure, but you're pretty sure whatever it was, it was with God. You can see it, you can sense it, there's an unmistakable energy about them that tells you something is different the sociologist Bernay Brown has said that we should all be mindful of the energy that we bring into the room because it's not just what we say and do but something about our being affects people the anxiety and the energy we carry with us when we enter into a group we somehow emit it there's an energy that we bring into the room with us and scientists have found this to be true as well. Did you know scientists have discovered these things called mirror neurons? Have you heard about this? Mirror neurons, it's, it's amazing how science keeps discovering things that sound like spirituality. But what they found is that we have this mirroring system in our, in our bodies that's built into our brains where we can intuit and imitate what others are doing when we see them but it's not just when we see them there's this energy they found that passes between us in the room when we're together I've even seen this experiment uh, where the bacteria in yogurt now think about this the live cultures we hear about right the bacteria in yogurt was somehow picking up on the emotions of the person in the room Weird, right? And my point is, on this Transfiguration Sunday, I'd love for us to receive this story as a challenge to choose to cultivate God's energy in our lives. So that when we're with other people, they are also impacted by the energy of God. And perhaps somehow this could work its way into your Lenten discipline. Lent starts this this Wednesday. That you could choose throughout this season to begin to engage intentionally in encounters with God's healing presence so that you begin in some way to bring the me- some measure of that energy with you into all of your relationships. Because here's the deal. You are going to bring something. When, when you, you bring something with you into every room you go into, You're going to bring something. We're all going to bring something. One of my favorite quotes from Father Richard Rohr is when he says this, whatever we don't transform, we transmit. Whatever we don't transform, we transmit, which is his way of talking about the energy and the experiences we often bring into the room with us. Often experiences that have been passed down to us from previous generations. Whatever we don't transform, we transmit. Whatever brokenness is not transformed through growth and therapy and healing experiences and healing relationships and encounter after encounter after encounter with the living God, whatever is not transformed in our lives, we transmit. But if we're open to it, If we're open to it, and if we'll pursue it, if we'll cultivate it, we can experience and even emit transformation. So that over days or months or years, what people might begin to say about you, around you, is, what's up with you? I mean, something seems different Are you doing something different? We can't put our finger on it, but we've been talking about it, and something seems different. You're different in a way that's almost unsettling, but it's also good. That's what happened to Moses on Mount Sinai. And if the New Testament is a reliable commentary on this experience, it is also what can happen to you and I as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we heard that too a moment ago, Paul makes some interesting observations about this story in Exodus. See, Paul believes one of the reasons Moses veiled his face is because when the Hebrews looked at it, they could see the end or the purpose of the law. It was strange. And Paul seems to think that Moses thought this was just a little too much for those people to take in. Because sometimes we can't handle all of the truth at once. Sometimes we can't handle all of the truth at once. It's just a little bit too overwhelming. You know, when Galileo started teaching that the earth was round, the church cried heresy and told him to stop. When we don't understand what we're seeing our first response is often fear. I wonder what those people would have done who Galileo was teaching if an astronaut had come to them from the future and showed them a picture of how small they were from the vantage point of faith. What do you think their response would have been? It would have likely blown their minds for various reasons and filled them with fear. When we don't understand what we're seeing or experiencing, our first response is often fear. And so Moses put on a veil. But Paul says the veil is no longer necessary. And Paul says that because of Christ and with Christ, we can now do a couple of things that the Hebrews of Sinai could not do. And they are this. One, Paul believes because of Jesus, we can better see and interpret God's word. Now God's word to them was mostly oral, you remember. Some of it was newly on tablets from the story. And then at the time of Paul, they had the Jewish scriptures, the writings, the Torah, the prophets. And now we have the New Testament. And Paul says that all of this has to be interpreted through Jesus Christ. Who is the God of mercy and compassion and grace and love. And who has lived that out in our midst. So if we want to understand God's will for our lives... And if we want to understand how to interpret God's Scripture, the veil can be lifted in the light of Christ. I'm supposed to remember that. And number two, Paul wants us to know that we can now also all see and encounter God freely through Jesus Christ. Not just in the Scriptures, but through the living presence of God. Paul says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom which, given the context, is likely a reference to the spirit of Yahweh in Exodus. The spirit of Yahweh that liberates slaves and that continues to liberate us. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom to encounter God. And preach them to engage with God so that we might be increasingly transformed day after day into the glorious image of Christ. So that in Jesus and through Jesus, we may be changed by Jesus. And so that our world may also be changed by Jesus through us and for Christ's sake as well. Because we're different. Because there's something different about us because we're bringing a different kind of energy into the room because in a very particular and powerful way we've been with Jesus. Now what would it look like for you to cultivate that in your life? What might it look like for you in your life to pursue the transformational power of an ongoing openness and deepening intimacy with Jesus Christ. What might you do? What might that look like for you? I hope you'll seriously consider this prayerfully as Signey and Kim Kankowitz come and sing this prayer over us, asking for God to do that in us even now.